Hello and welcome as you join us on Search for Truth, your Bible teaching programme with Brian Johnston. Thanks for tuning in and I'm delighted you've joined us. Last time, if you've been following this series, you'll remember that Brian discussed what the Bible had to say about God's plan for Christian disciples. This time, and up to the second week of June, God willing, Brian will consider how the early church conducted itself and where we find the evidence and basis for that in our Bibles. This will lead us to consider how present-day Christians ought to structure and organise church life based on biblical teaching and history of the first New Testament churches. So now, here's Brian. Thanks, John. The last chapter of the Bible prophet Isaiah begins by weaving together what have to be the two greatest concerns, or equally the two greatest privileges, of the people of God in any era. Here's what it says. This is what the Lord says. Heaven is my throne, and the earth is the footstool of my feet. Where then is a house you could build for me? And where is a place that I may rest? For my hand made all these things, so all these things came into being, declares the Lord. But I will look to this one, at one who is humble and contrite in spirit, and who trembles at my word. Isaiah 66, verses 1 and 2. You know, I'm always training myself to observe the context carefully as I read God's word, the Bible. The meaning and application of any text is controlled by its context. The same is, of course, true for any speech or writing. As we begin the 66th chapter of Isaiah, we're reminded of God's desire, both now and in long ages past, to reside in some form of house or temple among humans on earth, for him to be at the centre of a worshipping people. So here, in the opening lines of this closing chapter of Isaiah's book, we pause to note that the context in the first verse is of building an acceptable house for God. And since this is one of the greatest themes of the Bible, we're conditioned to see what comes next as being of great significance in relation to this. And what God says next through his prophet is the disclosure that he's attentive. God is specially attentive to the builder who trembles at his word. Really, we should have been prepared for this. For when Moses built God's house, known as the tabernacle, he was sternly warned to do everything just as God commanded him. And roughly 500 years later, when King David wanted to give expression to this desire of God, he initially felt to do all that was in his mind, that is in David's own mind. But almost immediately, God sent the prophet back to David with a correction of David's thinking. It wasn't to be David's idea, but God's idea. God would himself communicate the building plan. And God continues to communicate his ideas to us today in his written word. We are grateful that the Spirit of God moved the New Testament writers to faithfully document the things that took place after our Lord ascended into heaven and after the Holy Spirit had descended at the Pentecost event when Christianity really got started, as described in Acts chapter 2. Throughout the entire book of Acts, we read the history of the first Christians. And in particular, we might say, we read of how they did church. But still, you might say, that was then, and this is now. I would add, 
that it's entirely reasonable to conclude on the authority of God's word that if we do what the first Christians did, we can make the very same claim they made. And that was that they were God's house on earth. For example, they say that in Hebrews 3 verse 6. Of course, if we do something different from them, we have no biblical reason, far less authority, to make the same claim. But isn't it entirely rational to do exactly the same as was done 2,000 years ago and expect, yes, claim, to get the exact same result? In this study and in the ones that follow, I want to expand on something we introduced in our previous study. Let me say this by way of reminding you about it. We might hear or use the expression that someone isn't sticking to the script. What's meant by that, of course, is that someone has departed from a previously agreed policy decision by a group. Now, the Bible or scripture should literally be the script that all Christians agree to work from. And most would claim to do that, perhaps to differing degrees of exactness. Should then the description it gives us of what Christians did in the first century be treated only as an outline guide, only as a starting point? Some might think so, and be willing to go with a modern vibe. Some even talk about catching up with where the world is at now. It's fair to ask the question, at the very least, whether such an attitude fits our opening verse from Isaiah. Remember, it mentioned God as paying close attention to those who, in turn, paid close attention to his word and even went so far as to tremble at it. Principles that are repeated in every age form the basis of the position that says that what's written in the book of the Acts is not only descriptive, but it's also prescriptive. In other words, it's not a mere outline guide, but a detailed pattern to be followed in all generations. Perhaps you'd allow me to share the script or scriptural pattern with you. If you'll bear with me, I'm making a play on the word script here, treating it as an acronym where each letter serves as the initial letter of a key word in God's New Testament prescription. And so, we begin with the first letter of script, and that, of course, is the letter S. I want to associate with that letter S the meaning that, as we read the New Testament, we find that in any one town or identifiable place, there was one single church, regardless of how many companies it comprised. So S is for single. Let's observe how the Apostle Paul begins his first Bible letter to the Christian disciples in the place then identified as Corinth. There is still, of course, a modern-day city known as Corinth. But when I visited it, I was only interested in exploring old Corinth nearby. It exists as ruins now, but among what are ruins today, the Apostle Paul once walked and evangelised the throngs of people in the streets, in the market and in the synagogue there. And when he came to leave there, in order to continue his epic journeys, he left behind something that had not previously existed there, a church of God. And that's how he described it when he later wrote letters to the disciples he'd made in that locality. He addressed his letters very specifically to the church of God at Corinth. Find that in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 1 and 2. And that was exactly typical 
of all his Bible communications to any place where either he or one of his missionary colleagues had established a local church. The church of God in any one town was one church regardless of how many companies it comprised. That's why the S stands for single in this study. We'll search our Bibles in vain for any mention of churches of God in the plural at just one specific place. There are indeed three times in the New Testament where we read of churches of God in the plural, but those are where a reference is made to a region such as Judea or Galatia, for that region or Roman province would contain many towns or cities. In each place, there was always at most one grouping of Christian disciples in that locality, and it was known as the Church of God there. No less than eight times in the New Testament of our Bible, we can read of the Church of God in a given locality. Over 130 years ago, believers on the Lord Jesus, who were studying these New Testament principles, were debating a dilemma about a practical but typical problem which had previously existed. And that was over what should happen if an assembly of Christians in a given town should become divided into two or more factions. The question was, were they all to be regarded as equally legitimate churches? By paying close attention to God's word, they saw that there was no indication that in the first century there had ever been rival assemblies at odds with each other in the one place. They couldn't even find evidence for multiple churches existing in harmonious fellowship with each other in any one place. It was always only one church of God in any one identifiable place. When the numbers of saved and water-baptized believers, who were all added into single church fellowship, became impracticably large, they did find indication in Acts chapter 4 and verse 23 that the single church gathered in recognised separate companies. They were constituted as one church of God throughout that town or city, but when they gathered physically together to carry out the core church functions, it seems indicated that they inevitably did so in subunits of church companies. Each believer, belonging through addition to the local church in that place, remained a part of the church 24-7, but when they gathered together locally to worship, to study God's word, and to pray, they did so in their respective company. For example, in the home of John Mark and his mother, as would seem to be the case for the Church of God at Jerusalem, as we can read about in Acts chapter 12. And so the S in our use of the word script to communicate something of the biblical pattern stands for single. There always being a single church in any one identifiable place in the first century. God is
I hope you enjoyed today's study. The transcript book of all the talks in this series would be helpful to you to pursue further study. So please let me remind you how you can freely receive a copy. Firstly, it's available online and you can obtain one by downloading a copy from churchesofgod.info forward slash media. Alternatively, you can write to us and request a hard copy book to be posted out to you. Just ask for the title, A Good Place to Begin. And don't forget to include your postal address so we know where to send it. You can use email or the post and here's our address. Search for Truth, Hayes Press, The Barn, Flaxlands, Royal Wootton Bassett, Swindon, SN48DY, UK. Our email address is sft at churchesofgod.info. We've almost come to the end for today, but thanks again for the privilege of your company. Now, I'd be delighted if you'd join me again next time for our next Bible study. The next letter in the word script is C. But for now, it's goodbye and very best wishes from our Bible teacher, Brian, our producer, David, our singers and me, John. So see you again soon. And in the meantime, we wish you God's richest blessings. Thank you.